Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. I am so honored that you are listening, and I know there are dozens of podcasts that you can choose from. So thanks for joining me today to invest in growing your skills and developing your mindset of being a rockstar manager with a thriving team. As part of each episode, I've started sharing one podcast that I love in case you're looking to mix up your podcast listening, although I hope you'll still keep me in your rotation. So this week, I suggest you check out The 5 a.m. Miracle with host Jeff Sanders. I've been a longtime listener myself, and I find that Jeff covers a wide variety of topics on how to be a high performer. One of my favorite all-time episodes is number 272, Whatever You Don't Want to Do, Do That. He talks about why it's so important to do the things that we want to avoid. You can find The 5A Miracle on iTunes and wherever else you listen to podcasts or go to jeffsanders.com. Now, I'd like to offer a warm welcome to Emily R. and Andrew D. to the Modern Manager community. You now have access to the dozens of episode guides and guest bonuses to support you as you implement the lessons learned from the show. For new listeners, stay tuned at the end to learn more. And for you longtime listeners, why haven't you joined yet? If there is something that is keeping you from signing up, please let me know. If you work for a nonprofit or a government agency, email me from your work address and I'll send you a 20% discount code. I want to make sure that you are getting the tools to help you implement and grow the way that you deserve. Now, today's guest is Natalie Nagel. Natalie is the co-founder and CEO of Wildbit, the company behind Postmark, Beanstalk, and Conveyor. With 29 team members across five countries working on multi-million dollar products for developers, she is proving that you can grow an extremely profitable business while focusing on shorter workdays, an enjoyable work-from-anywhere environment, and staying small. Natalie and I talk about why her company moved to a four-day, 32-hour work week. She shares how she introduced this concept and managed the transition, the surprising impact it had on the people and the company, and how you might translate this practice if you work in a larger organization. I recorded this interview with Natalie about six months ago, so I reached back out again to see if she had any updates. And she said, and I quote, I'm just coming back from a five-week break, exclamation point. Yes, we're still fully into the four-day work week. A five-week break with a four-day work week sounds amazing. So let's get into the conversation so you can hear how she makes this work. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Natalie. I am really excited to talk to you because you did something really unusual with your company, Wildbit. And that is to reduce your work week. I feel like it's the holy grail that everybody's like, I want to work less. And you actually did that. Yes, we did it about a year and a half ago, I guess a little bit more than that. And it's been really exciting for us to experiment with. So why don't you start by telling us what you were hoping to achieve by reducing the work week? Like what were your, what were your goals or what was your kind of intention with that? Yeah. I mean, so we've kind of always focused or for at least the last six or seven years focused on understanding how to get more done in a, in a focused work environment while balancing or maybe even maximizing our team's ability to have 
a life outside of work. And that's started with as simple as saying we only work 40 hours a week because apparently that's an unusual concept in our industry to, you know, having flexible working schedules so that the team can, you know, go for a long bike ride in the middle of the day if that if it's a great day. And we kind of kept looking at how it is that we work and are we creating an environment that's focused so that we can get everything we need to get done in a time frame that's rational and effective for personal life, I guess, and also just mental space. And I was reading a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And Cal talks a lot about the difference between the work that we do that we, you know, is our is our unique ability or whatever you want to call it, the thing that we get paid to do versus the more shallow work of checking email and, you know, uh, closing tickets, whatever those things are, doing paperwork. And he spoke a lot about research around our brain's capacity to get that meaningful, deep work done. And this research shows that we basically maximize it about four hours a day, that your most brilliant minds, you know, the people who are paid to just think and write, you know, writers and artists and, and things like that, like they maximize it four hours. And at that point, you're, you're kind of at diminishing returns. And so when we looked at that, we said, well, if that's true, and it feels like it's true, because when you start really tracking your time, you realize it's really hard to get four really solid hours of good work done. We started to ex explore the idea that, well, why do we work 40 hours? You know, where does that number come from? And it, we started off as an experiment to say, well, can we get good quality work, those four hours times five is 20, right? Or four times four is 16. Can we get really quality work done in four days instead of five? And so that's, you know, four days, when I say four, I mean 32 hours a week, not four tens, but actually 32 hours a week. And the hypothesis was that on the one side, we're going to be extremely intentional with what we work on and why we work on things, you know, cutting down on meetings, cutting down on distractions. And on the other side was the quality of work was going to increase because that extra day to just refresh and get away from the office and away from thinking about work would create the space to come back on Monday and be really excited and really energized and get really good work done. So that's kind of how it started. It started as a summer experiment. We basically said, like, I have no idea how this is going to work out, but we're going to give it a shot. And summers are slow enough and, you know, kind of started as like every three months we would keep renewing and saying, all right, still feels good, still feels good. And, you know, we're, I guess, 16 or 18 months into it and feeling pretty good about it. So how did you introduce this concept to your team and what was their reaction? The reaction was actually interesting. We introduced it by just, you know, I give everybody deep work as one of the two books that you get when you join the company. So people were very familiar with Cal's work and kind of our obsession with <laughs> maximizing for focused deep work. So when we introduced it, it was really, I said, you know, from a practical sense, this is an experiment. This might not work. We might bomb it completely and we need to go back to five days. So let's start with a slow kind of rollout for the summer where, you know, people do summer Fridays anyway. So like, let's just try it out. And the reaction was very mixed, I would say, or maybe cautiously optimistic is more accurate. There was a lot of concern that we would not get enough done. Or, well, what am I going to do on a Friday? <laughs> you know, in practical <laughs> sense, like all I know, you know, I work, what, what, what am I going to do? And so we as part of the rollout, made sure that we created a lot of conversation and a lot of discussion around how's everybody feeling? You know, how was the first week? How was the second week? How are our releases? Are we feeling good about that? And so it just became a very open dialogue that I would 
kind of forcibly initiate to say, all right, how was this week? You know, how's everybody feeling? And I'll say that in the beginning, there was a lot of anxiety. I mean, there's, there's a ton more pressure when you realize on Wednesday, you only have one more day left. You know, I think we have a tendency to procrastinate and, uh, and to push things out to later, to later, to later. And you take a day away, you, that to later becomes much sooner <laughs> and you kind of feel like, okay, time to get to work. So, you know, I, I think holistically the team still feels a little bit of that. Like sometimes we'll come back and say, should we, t- should we take that Friday back? You know, should we work a little bit more? But we work through those anxieties and those concerns together. Yeah, I'm thinking about the days or the weeks where I have you know, a day off because I'm traveling or whatever else is going on. And I feel like, oh my gosh, I have the same amount of work, but I only have four days to do it. And that, it is an intense feeling. So I I can understand why some people might've been a little concerned about this practice and the not knowing what to do on Fridays is a little, was a little surprising to hear because I have so many things I wish I could do on Fridays. But you said you were in communication that this was like a three month experiment. Every couple of months you keep renewing. So you must be seeing positive results then, you know, must have shifted to being, to people kind of really feeling renewed or maintaining or feeling more productive. So what is that? What are the results that you're actually seeing? In the first year, so we do these annual retreats where the whole team gets together. And after the first full year of it, we got together on our retreat and our product manager kind of went through all of our releases and some of the people who've been on the team for a really long time, you know, kind of felt the same. And the result was that we had gotten more done in that year than we had ever gotten done. And I think, you know, to be completely fair, it's not just four-day work weeks. It's the fact that we, you know, made process changes and team dynamics. You know, there's obviously, it's never like one giant, the silver bullet work four days a week and you're going to be amazing. But it, it definitely did not slow us down. And that was confident boosting for the team. As we continue, you know, it's not a it's not a silver bullet. So, you know, in the last year, we've had some personnel, some team changes, and we've been understaffed a little bit in certain areas. And I don't think we have been as productive. And maybe that fifth day would have been helpful. But at this point, I'm so committed to really understanding what it means to have that a shorter work week, whether that's a four day work week as we are now or, or five sixes or, you know, I I don't know what that means yet, but, but I think just really committed to seeing the results of that rest, relaxation, flexibility of having less actual hours to work, which means that you create more space to think that I'm pretty confident that it's, it's the way to go. I don't know that forever it's going to be Fridays off. Oh, that's interesting to think about that there are are different ways to approach it, right? It doesn't have to be Friday off, but it could be five days of shorter work or even six days. One thing I like to do is take a half day on Friday and then work a little bit over the weekend so I can be home with my kids. And so being able to say, we still only want to work 32 hours, but what's the most optimally designed work week? Have you talked to your team about changing that approach? We've discussed a lot of things. I think right now we're, we have a retreat coming up in May and I think it's going to be a huge topic to understand. What we're exploring is the value, you know, the why, right? I'm always like, what's the why, you know? And for me, it's like, what's the why? Okay. So we got to a point where we've proven that less work is, you can do more with less, right? That we don't have to follow any written rule somewhere that says 40 hours is your minimum and that's how we have to run. And we've also proven that the extra relaxation matters, right? The ability to walk away from your work and let your subconscious do its thing. And, you know, we know that the quality of work has improved. That said, you know, there's a lot riding on 
eight hours a day is actually really hard for a person, right? Eight hours of good work is actually not the most productive way to, to be, you know, five to six hours probably makes the most sense. So maybe we should shorten our days or maybe we should, to your point, create more flexibility for the individual because I'm a big fan of giving people space to work in their optimal optimal time, right? Their most productive time. So I think as a team, we know that we're chasing the same thing, which is to create a working environment where we have the ability to be focused and get our really good work done in a short productive, meaningful way, right? So cut down the meetings, cut down the nonsense, don't work on the wrong things, create space to think, to walk away, to spend time with your family. What that looks like, I think, can evolve. And I I think the team gets really excited about the prospect of it. I don't know that we don't have an answer yet, right? So it's hard to say, you know, what's the next experiment? But Wildbit has always been a place where we experiment. So I think on retreat, we're going to just kind of brainstorm a bunch of ways on how can we accomplish these things, right? If we start with the why and why are we doing it and what are, what's the goal, there has to be more creative ways that we can test out and see what does a 32-hour work week look like if we're trying to accomplish these certain things. All right. So you said that one of the things that made this work, that it wasn't a magic bullet, but that you also addressed some policies and processes and ways of working. Can you talk through some of those changes that you made to support your ability to get so much work done in 32 hours? Absolutely. We One of the things that we looked at, you know, with 32 hours, first thing that it created was, all right, where are we wasting time? <laughs> you know, it was like an instant, oh, I don't want to be in this meeting anymore, you know, or why is this meeting in the middle of the day? So w- what we started doing, the very first very tactical thing was everybody starts looking at where am I spending my time? And so one of the, you know, we got rid of a ton of meetings. We're a remote team. So we started with looking at how much more can we do asynchronously? There's nothing I hate more than status meetings. Like it drives me crazy. So it's, you know, I don't want us going around the room and saying what I'm working on when we could have easily posted that somewhere and moved on. So we cut back on meetings that were not providing value solving problems. I don't think we're perfect at it yet. We're actually in the process of redoing it again and and rethinking operating systems and, and processes internally. But that was the first thing was meetings. We also looked at the way in which we communicate. So we use Slack and, and other asynchronous tools. And obviously, a lot of them are built for distraction. And again, if we want to get the most done in 32 hours, we have to be extremely focused. And so we shut down Slack for a week to figure out where that was you know, hindering. We have really strict rules around how we disrupt each other, how we pull each other out of our focused, meaningful work. And then from a planning perspective, the idea to plan shorter iterations or shorter weeks, which in, in essence become shorter work day, shorter iterations, right? Total days of accomplishing a task. We started to really look at why. Why are we building this feature? You know, we're a software company. So for us, a lot of it comes down to what feature are we building? What improvement are we working on? And so we started doing a lot of why. You know, okay, well, this is going to take eight weeks of two people. Why? Is this the best best thing to do? Because we're, you know, 52 days less you know, and that's a solid iteration. So I think that really helped start to streamline the work that we accomplish and force us to really think about, well, what's the impact on the business? What's the impact on the company? What's the impact on the team of doing this work? So I I think overall, you know, there's a lot of changes that were made as a result because we felt the pressure that we had less time, less time to kind of mess around and and really had to get down to the good work. 
So you mentioned Slack, which I'm a huge fan of using chat to connect with people, whether you're a remote team or even an in-person team, that it's a it's a great communication tool. But it also, as you said, has a lot of distractions in it. So, you know, finding the ways of working with Slack so that it supports communication but doesn't distract people or interrupt people is tough for a lot of teams. Can you talk a little bit more about that experiment that you did without Slack and what you learned and what some of the new policies are for how to use it effectively? Absolutely. So we've been in business 18 years and we've been a remote team all 18 of those years. So we've had some variation of chat, right? Slack is not not an, an, a radical invention. It's group chat. But we've had some variations to the beginning of time and have learned that there's, to your point, an, a balance. On a remote team, you have to have some type of group communication and individual one-on-one communication tool that's very quick so that you can you can unblock solve problems kind of strategize. The most important thing that we believe uh, on our team is that Slack cannot become an inbox, like another inbox. So we very much use it for disposable communication. We don't solve problems in Slack. We don't well, we can solve problems, but we don't commit Slack to history. So it doesn't it doesn't become a permanent storage for any kind of information because one of the things that that creates is anxiety on the on the team's side where, oh my goodness, I missed a day or I took a day off and now I have to go back and read and make sure I didn't miss anything. So that's like one of the most important things. It's very, for us a while, but it's very uh, disposable. The other thing that we do is we really enforce the don't message somebody unless you think it's an urgent request like or you know that it's the most important thing we actually really love email (laughs) and not just because we're an email product but we really love email because what email allows you to do is work together you know on -on one-on-one basis work together in a way where you're enabling your colleague to choose the time in which to do their not deep meaningful work now what i mean by that is let's say i'm looking for a file a logo or something, and I, I I need to ask one of the designers on the team, I can ping Derek in Slack and say, hey, can I have this logo? It'll disrupt him. He'll look at it, you know, and then he'll be like, he could have been doing some really deep, meaningful work. Everybody knows you distract somebody, take 15 to 20 minutes to get back into the zone, you know, all those things that we all know and read and, 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 and understand. Instead, I could send him an email and say, hey, Derek, when you get a chance, can you get me this file? Well, Derek can have scheduled his day where he spends the next hour really doing deep, meaningful work. His brain gets tired. He comes up for air. Or I say like comes up to the surface, goes into his inbox, does some of his cleanup and management, sees my email, responds with a link back in email. And I could be in the same sense, right? When he's replying to me, I could be doing my focus work and then come back for air in a couple hours and, and grab it. And so I think the intentionally thinking about how we as individuals work in our own ways on our own schedules, that just, in, you know, I don't think it's a tooling thing. I think it's a personality thing. If we're really thoughtful about how everybody's working, we won't use things like Slack to disrupt each other every day. And, I, you know, to be honest, it's no different than working in an office. To me, it's, you know, you go pop into somebody's office in the middle of the day without scheduling it, without knowing that they're not doing their deep focus work, you're disrupting them. You probably cost yourself, them and the business 15, 20, 30 minutes. We'll multiply that by a couple of times a day and we all know the impact that that has. So for us, Slack is everybody's encouraged to log off. Everybody's encouraged to put do not disturb. We try very hard not to have water cooler rooms in Slack. 
because, you know, we're a remote team too. So people are in different time zones. And so somebody, good morning at 9am and somebody else, good morning at 2pm. And you're like, ah, you know, and so we try really hard to have that as much one-on-one communication and, you know, as much as possible, everybody's do not disturb or just shuts it down to indicate that I'm busy and please don't bother me. Oh, I love the principle behind that of when you need something from someone to not interrupt them. And so whether that is by sending an email or not knocking on their door or walking over to their desk in the middle of the day, or even just turning around. I know I used to do that to one of my colleagues. I would just turn around and be like, hey, I have a question. And without really thinking that I'm interrupting her. So whatever process, you know, we use Slack with my team and we kind of have a similar approach where we tell people, turn off your notifications. Like there's a few channels that have that ping you, but otherwise the whole point is you get to it when you get to it. And our inboxes get overwhelmed with other things. So we're like, inbox is not the place to send important things. Inboxes is where like external communications happen. But the principle is the same. Don't interrupt people when you need something, especially if it's not urgent. And then if it is urgent, pick up the phone or do interrupt them in person, right? Don't rely on Slack or email when something is really, really important and urgent. That's a great point. Yeah. So, you know, we run products that are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? So for our engineering team, for example, you know, when we have outages or significant issues or any kind of performances or somebody needs somebody, right? Like legitimately, urgently, we don't use Slack for that. You know, we use all kinds of alerting and paging systems that sends an SMS that, you know, calls the phone and and does all this stuff. I truly think Slack is or chat in general, you know, we keep talking about Slack, but it's chat, right? The the ability to have instant message and chat is critical for any team, remote team to communicate, but should be handled as a, you know, last resort. It's not uncommon for our team to schedule chats. You know, it'll be like, hey, let's, are you around, you know, send an email. It says like, are you around tomorrow too? Can we like discuss this thing? Although lately I've been really pushing video calls because it's just so much faster. You know, for us, it's, you know, pop into a Zoom Zoom call real quick, solve a problem and move on. Let's just get it done and, and move on. So I think we're balancing and the kind of this new operating system, balancing the ability to spend as much of those 32 hours as individuals working and as little of those 32 hours in kind of overhead, right? In, in, in paperwork, but without the paper. And so, you know, can we condense meetings? Can we condense issues into single meetings? unless there's something urgent and then let's just solve it quickly and move on. You know, the worst thing you want is somebody sitting on their hands because they are worried about disrupting somebody. So finding that balance is obviously really critical. But, you know, as a team, to make 32 hours work, whatever that looks like, it's really important that we're getting quality work done. I interview people all the time who say, I work better at night or I've been working at this company for 80 hours a week, you know, but I work better at night. And, you know, at, when you start digging into it, it's like, well, you've got four stand up meetings, you're in this thing, you walk to, you know, you're walking around somebody, you know, you're just not getting any work done. And it's like, we want to get more work done, good quality work in less time. So you obviously had the ability to experiment with this and implement this practice with your company because it's yours. But for many of the listeners, they are managers in a organization that they may may have influence on or maybe don't maybe they're they're just they have influence over their own team but they still have to work within the confines of their organization so do you have any kind of key takeaways or lessons learned or things that that people can try to apply you know within the the boundaries of a larger organization's restrictions or policies or or context 
I have a lot of friends who work in bigger companies or run bigger companies, and we've had this discussion a lot. And I think one of the things that I don't think is solved yet, but we have to solve is, you know, we've become knowledge workers, right? We we no longer are measured by how many things we, you know, how many widgets we build on the, you know, how many, how many things we put on the conveyor belt. And so because of that, we lack a finish, right? We lack an ending point. And that's why as managers, it's so hard to measure is your person providing quality work and we default to button seat, right? <laughs> like <laughs> work, give me my 40 hours and go home. And it's irrelevant how much work you got done because I don't have an easy way to measure it. I can't say, did you, you know, I'm not going to ask a software developer, did you run, write 30 lines of code this week? That's ridiculous, right? So I think what we have to get better at is determining a finite amount of value we want to provide and measuring that. So, and what I mean by that is to say, can we, for example, this is what we're working on on our team is, can we commit to getting these three things done this week? You know, or can we find a way to say, if we get this done on Wednesday, forget about it, let's go home. We all feel good about this quantity of work or, or this quality of, you know, whatever of work. And if we can get it done in four days, awesome. If it takes six and we feel like that's an important thing for this week, let's regroup and see if that's valuable. Maybe it is a six-day work week, but next week is two. You know, I don't know. But I think we have to get better at really measuring output, not by how long our team is sitting in front of their computer. You know, one of the things that drives me insane is when you do really thought, like if you're a writer and you're writing all day long, at four o'clock, you're dead. You know, like there's your brain is not a, you know, we all know the feeling where you're sitting in the office. You're like, oh, well, one more hour till I get to go home. And it drives me crazy thinking that people are just sitting there staring at their computer, refreshing Facebook. They're getting credit, you know, for being in the office and working, but they're not doing anything valuable. And I always tell my team, like, please go home or go take a walk. Like, please don't just sit there and stare at a computer because I know the value you provide, right? Or at least I feel like it's there. And, and if we can find a way to truly evaluate our teammates, not by the hours they spend in front of their computer or logged into Slack, but by the output, then we should be comfortable saying, if you can get more done with less time, go for it, right? If you want a flexible schedule that's a little bit different, go for it. So in a large corporation, like in a large organization, I've seen it succeed in, you know, on smaller teams when they have managers who are really committed to this, they will go to their leads and be like, listen, I think my team, if my team accomplishes X, Y, and Z, would you be happy? And they're like, yes. Well, okay, we're going to do that. And then they're going to do that quickly or, or more efficiently or more effectively, whatever. And then slowly, incrementally prove that they can do it without being measured by their nine to five schedule or their, you know, or, or you know, a lot of people use this for uh, proving remote work works, right? They'll say like, we can do this and you'll see it's going to be great. And we can show you that a remote culture can work because we're going to do all this, but we're going to do it remotely. So I think if you can start in small incremental steps to just try to, try to prove value, not by how long we sit in a chair. And I know it's hard, you know, and as managers, it's probably one of the hardest things because we're not really taught how to do that. We're just taught to like, make sure your team shows up, make sure you get most of the things on your list done, however long it takes. If it works, it works great. Everybody gets a bonus. But like, how do we get down to the real value of what is it that we want to get done? Is it enough, right? Are we asking too much? Are we not asking enough? All these things and allowing people the flexibility to get it done and how it makes sense. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's just amazing. I want to shift gears a little bit because as you know, the show is called The Modern Manager and it's all about being a rock star manager with a thriving team. So can you tell us about one of the amazing managers that you had the pleasure of working with and for and what made him or her so amazing? 
Sure. So I have only really worked for somebody for a very short amount of time, but right out of college, I worked in a consulting company and I had a a manager. She, to this day, I still think about her, but she was really tough. And I think some people didn't love working with her. And I, I went to work there because of her, because what she did was really provide explanations to her tough feedback. And what I mean by that is I can't grow as a person and get better if I don't understand where I'm making a mistake and why, right? And so what she would do is she would give truly brutal, honest feedback. You know, it was a consulting company, so we were working with clients. She would redline every email I sent to a client. But it wouldn't just be, you know, she wouldn't go into my file and and delete words and change them. She would redline them, right? She would cross them out, write what she thinks I should say, and gave me every opportunity to then absorb that feedback and get better. And I think that is something that I have always taken away. You know, she'd sit there in the office and be like, here's the 30 things you did wrong in that meeting. And I love that feedback because to me, it was like, all right, cool. Like I'm new. I'm, I have no idea how, what I'm doing. I want to get better. And the faster you, the more feedback you give me, the faster I can get better. And so I think, you know, while maybe her delivery wasn't idea, I'm, I've got a really thick skin, so it didn't bother me as much. I think the intention was incredible. And it's something I really try to work with with my team is to this day, like if I'm editing a newsletter that's going out or something like that, I won't actually edit it. I'll put it, suggestions and comments. One of my promises to my team is I'm never passive aggressive. Like you're never going to go home thinking is Natalie mad at me? Like I'm very transparent and I will have very honest conversations with people. And I like to think it's because of that manager because she was so honest with me. I'm a little softer. My delivery is hopefully a little bit better. And I don't make people, you know, some people used to cry. I don't make people cry. But, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm frustrated with you or I think you didn't perform in the way that you have the capacity to do it, I will tell you. And I think from there, most people on my team, I think, value that because it helps them get better. It helps them know exactly what my expectations are and it helps them grow. And and that's the number one job of a manager, right, is to make sure that we grow the people that we that we support. So that she was incredible. I still think about her all the time. I looked her up the other day, but I couldn't find her. But she was just so great at telling me exactly the thinking behind why she wasn't happy or why I didn't do the work. And I think there's something so powerful about that to learn from. So beautiful and well said. So that's going to wrap us up. Tell everyone where they can keep up with you and Wildbit and learn more. Sure. So, you know, wildbit.com is the parent company. That's where all the fun the fun, interesting stuff happens. It's wildwood.com slash blog. That's where I talk about this stuff. I'm Natalie Nagel on Twitter. Love to talk to people and meet new people. And this is some of the stuff that I love the most. So would love to connect with any of your listeners and hear about their stories. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your lessons and your insights from the experiment that seems to be ongoing. I look forward to hearing how the next iteration of it unfolds. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Natalie has shared her four-day workweek update document as her guest bonus, which is available to members of the Modern Manager community. It includes their policy on time off, which you can use as a model for your own team. To get the guest bonus and join the community, go to mamieks.com slash join. That's M-A-M-I-E, K as in kangaroo, S as in south, dot com slash join. Of course, those links are all in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which you will also find at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. 
Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.